Good morning. The title of this morning's message is Adventures in Fasting. <laughs> Doesn't that sound exciting? <laughs> this morning, I want to encourage you to have your own adventure in fasting. Now, most people despise the idea of fasting, and they aren't the least bit interested in listening to a whole message about not eating. <laughs> but the truth is, fasting is not about not eating. It's about seeking and finding. One of the songs we sang this morning was, The more I seek you, the more I find you. And that's the real goal of fasting, seeking God and finding that God really is with us and in us to strengthen us and to guide us. We find him again and again and again, and it actually works. <laughs> now, towards the end of this message, I'll talk about what we can do to make fasting less painful and more fruitful. But for now, let's look at what some of the Bible says about fasting. First off, Old Testament types of fasting are just that. Old Testament, not our covenant. So for the most part, we do not fast for the same reasons they fasted. But I still want you to see what a Jewish view of fasting looks like. So I went online and I found an article called Fasting in Judaism. And according to this article, Judaism views three essential potential purposes of fasting. And a combination of some or all of these could apply to any given fast. The first purpose <laughs> in fasting is the achievement of atonement for sins and omissions. That is very old covenant. The second reason for a Jew to fast is to remember and to display mourning over past disasters particularly about the destruction of their temples. And the last reason to fast is to display commemorative gratitude. They explain that as fasting for spiritual enhancement. The idea is that when the fast is over, you are happy and grateful for what God has provided and that you get to eat again. <laughs> and if you have ever done a prolonged fast, that really does happen. <laughs> For the most part, most of the fasting in the Old Testament has to do with the first purpose I mentioned. is about making atonement and making themselves blessable. That is never, I repeat, never why a new covenant believer fasts. We can never achieve right standing with God through our behavior. We have an everlasting righteousness as a gift of His grace. And the blood of Jesus is the only reason that we have already been forgiven for all of our sins and are brought into a completely blessable state of being. So New Covenant believers should not be trying to convince God to forgive them or to bless them, because through Christ, He already has. We can see this in Colossians 3.13, which says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The blood of Jesus is the only basis for our forgiven state of being. It's already passed, but it's also the only basis for our forgiving others. 
Jesus has already paid the penalty for other people's sins towards us. So we, from our hearts, can and should forgive others and not hold people's sins against them. Now, I always feel like I should give a disclaimer when it comes to forgiving others. <laughs> forgiving others does not mean that we should not hold people accountable for their wrong actions. There is a difference between forgiving and enabling. For example, we can truly forgive a family member for driving drunk, but that doesn't mean we turn around and give them the keys to our car. <laughs> Forgiveness is a grace we can and should extend to others, but trust is earned. Just because I forgive you doesn't mean I can trust you. <laughs> we should not trust people who have proven themselves untrustworthy. That would be stupid. And I learned that the hard way from experience. I kept trying to trust somebody who was not trustworthy and I kept getting hurt. It was stupid. You can't trust untrustworthy people. <laughs> so back to the article, it continued on. Fasting is conducive to atonement for it tends to precipitate contrition, which means it hurries along the process of making you sorry. <laughs> and you see that a lot in the church. They take these old covenant ideas about how to be right with God and, and try to put them into the new covenant. They don't fit. We do not change God's mind about us or about our sins or about anything. And there's no such thing as a sorry meter. <laughs> You ever try to measure your sorry? You see, I was taught, if you're really sorry for that sin, you'll never do it again. So you have to get busy about making yourself sorrier and sorrier. There's no freedom in that. And being sorry is not the power to change. Jesus is the power to change. So I can see why they thought this, that if you fast, you'll become sorry really, really quickly because their fasts were complete fasts, no food and no water. So it wouldn't be very long before you would be sorry. <laughs> God counted it necessary for them to become sorry for their actions as a part of accepting them and showing them mercy. So when the Old Testament Jews got around to being truly sorry in their heart, they would turn away from their other gods, which was their usual sin, and they turned towards God in a display of remorse. Not to show God how sorry they were, so that God would forgive them of their sin and accept them back as his people. Remember, this is not for us, no matter how much the church tries to preach it. It's not for us. We don't have to have a sorry meter. When you love Jesus, you will automatically be sorry. So this was for the Jews back then. And we can see this in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over bringing disaster. In other words, God was saying he wasn't looking for a performance from his people, like the rending of outer garments as a sign of sorrow. He was looking for hearts that had come to the realization that they were wrong to leave the one true and living God. And when they realized the gravity of their sin, because their life got hard, <laughs> they changed their minds and did what God required. And God, because of his great love and mercy, 
<laughs> Not because of what they did, but because they came to a realization, we really do need God. <laughs> because of his great love and mercy, relented from sending disaster upon them that their covenant would have demanded. Old covenant, do bad, get bad. Do good, get good. Now, this type of Old Covenant proclamation is often made by the church as a whole to America. Repent or expect disaster from God. The problem with this, America is not Israel. America as a nation does not have a separate covenant with God to ensure blessing or cursing based on her performance. America as a whole simply reaps what her government sows. So if America sows stupid stuff, she can reap stupid stuff. But we don't have to participate. <laughs> we have another kingdom that we live from. But whatever stupid stuff may come to our country because they've made bad decisions, it's not a judgment from God. And under the new covenant, again, being sorry for sin, asking America to act like Israel is silly. They have no comprehension of who God is under the old covenant or under the new. So it just doesn't work. The blood of Jesus, by the way, is the only power that sets men and women free from the power of sin and death. Under the old covenant, God dealt with all of Israel as if the entire nation was a single son of God. God called all of Israel his son. He called his son out of Egypt. Israel was a type and shadow of Jesus the one and only true and living God, the Son of God himself. Back then, mankind could only come to God through God's Son at that time. At that time, God called Israel his son. The whole world could come to God, but they had to come through Israel. But under the new covenant, mankind can only come to God through his one and only unique son, Jesus. Israel back then, as God's representative son, knew better than to go off worshiping other gods to try to get their needs met. But that didn't stop Israel as a whole from being unfaithful. <laughs> Israel needed to change her mind and demonstrate to God that she was desiring to truly come back into right relationship with God. And God, through his great mercy, would receive them back. Fasting for them was part of demonstrating their sincerity and remorse so that God would forgive their sin. <laughs> and change his mind about sending disaster upon them. But that's Old Covenant. Not our covenant, not our fast. God now deals with us as individual sons of God, in and through his only unique son, Jesus. And as sons of God, we can choose to fast as a way to seek and find the mind of God, especially in the midst of distressing situations. Under the New Covenant, our fasting doesn't change God's mind about anything, but it can be very helpful in changing our minds about anything. <laughs> Years ago, in one of my adventures in fasting, I found that God used fasting in my life as a way to prepare me for a change that would come into my life later that he knew I wasn't going to be particularly happy about. <laughs> so one day, sort of out of the blue, the Lord asked me to fast something for approximately six weeks. I chose to do a partial fast. Yes, you can choose what kind of fast you'd like to do. <laughs> so I chose a Daniel type of fast. So I changed the what I ate. I didn't stop eating. 
That's important. Fasting is not about not eating. <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> it's about submitting to the Holy Spirit. It's about seeking and finding God. So also fasting without praying is not fasting. It's dieting. <laughs> Just call it what it really is. <laughs> One of the first things God taught me about fasting was that if my focus was on God as the reason for my fast, there was a grace that arose in me. It was a divine enablement to fast. And along with this grace, the Lord would also bring forth a reward. Now, it wasn't that it became totally easy to fast, especially when I first started, but it was that I found I wasn't doing it all on my own or just in my own strength. So fasting was often a regular part of my spiritual exercise. <laughs> and that's a good way to understand fasting, spiritual exercise. With exercise comes strength, and with spiritual exercise comes spiritual strength. Whatever we practice becomes easier because we're getting stronger. Anyway, when I asked the Lord what I would be fasting about, he told me he wasn't going to tell me. <laughs> he knows me. <laughs> he just wanted me to trust him and to do as he asked. So that's what I did. Now, I do need to warn you about your flesh head. Our flesh heads definitely do not like fasting. Our flesh head will scream, it will yell, it will be cranky, it will throw itself on the floor like a two-year-old who's being weaned off of the baby bottle, especially when you first start. <laughs> and believe it or not, this is a good thing. <laughs> we want flesh head to be easy to spot <laughs> as being flesh head, so we know what to ignore. You see, this is how parents often train two-year-olds to stop throwing fits. They ignore them and walk away. They refuse to give in to them and give them their way because giving in to the child trains and rewards the child for its bad behavior. And then they just continue throwing fits to get their way. That is the equivalent of our flesh head. <laughs> we don't want flesh head to be in charge of us. <laughs> our flesh head will act like a demanding two-year-old who wants his baba. <laughs> Now, we need to remember that our flesh head is not who we really are. Back 30 years ago, when I first started fasting, I thought, my old man just keeps resurrecting. <laughs> I had to constantly try to die to myself because I couldn't figure out how to keep that man dead. <laughs> I didn't know it wasn't me, that it was flesh head. So I was always praying to God to kill my old man again and rescue me from all of its power again because I didn't understand he had already done exactly that. Romans 6, 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Body of sin is our physical. <laughs> Natural thinking is flesh head. Not all flesh head is bad. Like Andrew often says, not all your natural thinking is bad, but bad thinking is carnal. All the wrong thinking, all the wrong meditating, all the wrong being upset, all the wrong 
comes from natural thinking, not from our spirit man. But because our old man was crucified, our new nature <laughs> has come to live in us. We are no longer enslaved to the power of sin. We just have the old man's thinking. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. And that's our reality. We are free from sin. So I was already dead. I didn't need to die again. <laughs> I just needed to understand what actually happened to me at salvation. I needed to renew my mind to the truth and grace that was available to me in my salvation package. My old man wasn't resurrecting. It was just my flesh-headed thinking and programming. So when you start to fast, don't be surprised if your flesh head has a terrible response. <laughs> Initially, it can be pretty ugly, but it's not the real you. You're challenging what you believe in the natural realm, and your natural realm head will argue with you. So God has given us grace, a divine enablement for us to do whatever he calls us to do. If he calls you to a fast, if you just want to volunteer for an adventure, <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> and he will give you the grace to do what is hard for you to do. As his grace began manifesting in me during my fasting, I was so delighted with what God was doing in me and for me that I made up a little slogan to try to convince all my believing friends that fasting was a good idea because I've never met anyone who thought it was. <laughs> Fasting's a good idea, even if it's just a partial fast. It's good for you. You will find Jesus all over the place. It's good, it's good, it's good. So I made up this little slogan. A fast done unto the Lord brings with it its own reward. Now, I use the word reward because Scripture uses the word reward when referring to fasting done correctly. We can see this in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. Our context is prayer. Jesus has just finished teaching what we call the Lord's Prayer, and then he marries the idea of prayer with fasting, kind of like they should go together. <laughs> verse 16, moreover, when you fast, not if you fast, moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to fast. For verily I say unto you, they have their reward. In other words, they get exactly what they really want. Praise from man instead of praise from God. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face. Now, this just simply means you should clean yourself up and look normal. The hypocrites were going around with their hand on their forehead. Oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. <laughs> suffering for the Lord. God was not impressed. <laughs> Other men were impressed, but God was not. And that's his point. Don't fast the way the hypocrites do. They want everyone to know that they're suffering. <laughs> and the anointing of oneself can be understood two different ways. They often anointed their head with oil so they wouldn't be so stinky. They didn't bathe every day. So that was part of their normal everyday taking care of themselves. But it can also mean that they were dedicating themselves. Anointed as a dedication unto the Lord to fast unto him. Verse 18. So that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret. And thy father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. 
So the word reward is not a bad word for a grace community. <laughs> I also have this verse in the Young's literal translation. So that thou mayest not appear to men fasting, but to thy father who is in secret. And thy father who is in secret shall reward thee manifestly. <laughs> I like the word manifestly. <laughs> and according to Webster's 1828 dictionary, manifestly means clearly, evidently, plainly, in a manner to be clearly seen or understood. This is our reward. God himself clearly, evidently, and plainly revealing himself to us in a manner that can be clearly seen and understood. When I would often fast, God would do things that I wasn't expecting, things I didn't pray for. Things would fall into place. And he would go, see, see, <laughs> You're seeking me, you're finding me, you're listening to me, and it's changing things. Under the new covenant, we don't have to convince God to be good to us by what we do. So we're not twisting God's arm through fasting in an effort to get him to move on our behalf. Instead, we're choosing the spiritual realm over the physical one. See, we can, as Christians, just live in the natural realm according to our flesh head, according to our natural senses. But we will only reap what our flesh head can produce. And angry two-year-olds don't produce anything good. <laughs> and we can see this truth in Galatians chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. These are perfect fasting scriptures. But the context is actually walking and living in love toward others. Begins with verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh, his flesh head, shall of his flesh head reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit realm, he who sows to the spirit of God, shall of the spirit of God reap life everlasting. This isn't about the life we get when we go to heaven. This is about the heaven that lives in us right now. It's about experiencing God and his kind and quality of life, his wisdom, his patience, his strength, his word, his view and opinion, his knowledge about what to do, and his grace to be able to do it. Verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing. When you're fasting, you will be tempted <laughs> to grow weary <laughs> and give up. <laughs> let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due seasons we shall reap if we faint not. What are we going to reap? That which comes from God. That which nourishes us and, and strengthens us. This is what fasting can help us do. It helps us to stop sowing to the angry two-year-old in our head who wants to be boss of us. And to purposely sow or yield to the Spirit of God within us, which activates the graces of the Holy Spirit. One of my early adventures in fasting, the Holy Spirit surprised me. It was about the middle of the day two of a liquid fast, which is mostly the kind of fasting I choose. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit started bubbling up within me. I mean, the song, bubbling, bubbling, bu yeah, physical bubbling going on on the inside of me. <laughs> I could sense him bubbling up within me. And then with the greatest of ease, my prayer language came bubbling forth. Now, this makes perfect sense. 
because in my early days, I struggled with the strength of my flesh head regarding the graces of the Holy Spirit. I was very logical. I was very left brain. I was afraid of what I'd been erroneously taught, and I was very untrusting. In other words, I had a lot of unbelief regarding the graces of the Holy Spirit. And fasting allowed me to easily tap into the power of the Holy Spirit within me by telling my flesh head no, telling my flesh head no, telling my flesh head no, and always going, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, this is what we're doing. You are my strength. I can do all things to Christ. You're going to have to talk to yourself during a fast. (laughs) You have to courage yourself in the Lord. (laughs) But fasting actually helped me overcome strongholds in my thinking. It overcame the unbelief. And the scripture tells us of a very powerful way to overcome stubborn, natural unbelief. It is in the story of Jesus casting out the demon, found in Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 14. When he, Jesus, came to the disciples, he saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, and running to him, they greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you disputing about with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought my son to you because he has a mute spirit. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they might cast it out, but they were not able. Jesus answered him and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the mute to him. And when he saw him, the spirit, (laughs) immediately the spirit convulsed him. And having fallen on the ground, he was rolling around and foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long a time has it been that it has happened like this to him? And he said, from childhood. And often it threw him both into the fire and into the waters so that it may destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, help us and have compassion on us. Jesus said to him, if you are able to believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And immediately crying out, the father of the child said with tears, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. (laughs) I understand this cry. (laughs) I've been there when I would tell Jesus, I'm believing as hard as I know how. I don't know how to believe any harder than I believe in Jesus. Why aren't I seeing this change? I was trying to apprehend my healing. God, I know I believe. Why is this not manifesting? (laughs) So my cry was the same as his, help me, Jesus. Because if I have to make the faith, I'm up a creek without a paddle. Because obviously it's not working. (laughs) And that's exactly right. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, opens our eyes and our ears to see and hear God more clearly, which activates the faith we already have. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing cometh by the rhema word of Christ. God himself speaking to us by his Spirit and through his word about Jesus and his finished work. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, Mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then having cried out and having convulsed him greatly, it came out, and he became as one dead, so that many were saying, He is dead. But Jesus, having grasped him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. 
And after he entered into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why were we not able to cast it out? What's our context in this passage of Scripture? It's about believing and unbelieving. It's not about casting out demons. <laughs> and the topic hasn't changed. It shows us very clearly Jesus has unbelief and belief on his mind. The disciples knew something had changed, but they didn't know what. You see, they were actually confused. Why? This works every day, Jesus. <laughs> you send us out, we go lay hands on the sick when they healed. We can raise the dead, we can do all these things. Why didn't it work today? It always works. That's what they wanted to know. What's wrong with us that it didn't work today? We know that their faith didn't change. They were still trying to cast out demons. <laughs> their authority didn't change. Jesus gave them their authority. They don't earn that. So what went wrong with us, they asked. Why couldn't we cast it out? Why, when what we do always work, doesn't work today? They were asking, what am I doing wrong? I understand this cry. What am I doing wrong, Jesus? <laughs> it's supposed to work. <laughs> and so he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now, is Jesus talking about a special kind of demon that requires that we go and pray and fast before we cast him out? No, demon is not the point. <laughs> He's still talking about the same topic that he revealed when he spoke to the unbelieving crowd and the unbelieving man. He's talking about unbelieving. This is one of those lessons that Andrew Womack teaches that really helped me when I was trying to manifest my healing for fibromyalgia. My head, my natural mind, knew that I was believing as hard as I could believe, but I still wasn't being able to manifest the healing, just like the disciples. I was wondering, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> Tell me what to do different, Jesus. <laughs> just like the man who brought his son to Jesus. I believe, help my unbelief. Natural unbelief comes from the natural realm the realm of seeing and hearing and feeling, the realm of our flesh head. <laughs> our flesh head believes what we feel more than what we know in our mind to be the truth. So if we feel sick, it tells us in our heart, you are still sick. <laughs> I can feel it. <laughs> flesh head. <laughs> Even though we are consciously believing, that we are well in the name of Jesus, and that by his stripes we are healed, our flesh head will not submit to the truth just because we tell it to. We need God's help with our unbelief. We need him to magnify his voice and his truth to the point that it drowns out the unbelief. And it's God's word, both written and spoken, that conquers our natural unbelief. So, how does fasting drown out the voice of the flesh head? It helps us to magnify the power and presence of God within. It is a way of opening our spiritual ears to hear more clearly. Isn't that we don't hear, but sometimes we just need to hear more clearly. <laughs> and it also opens our eyes so that we can see him more clearly. It's not the not eating that causes this to happen. It's the continual turning away from the dominion of our flesh head and turning to and submitting ourselves to the loving God within us. 
It's feeding on the Father and receiving his mega grace. This is basically what Jesus did in John chapter 4. In this chapter, Jesus ministers to the woman at the well. And while she goes off to tell her entire town about Jesus, the disciples come back from their grocery trip. <laughs> and we pick up the story in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat! But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know not about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus is basically saying that he has an access to supernatural nourishment and strength that natural food could never supply. And it came by him submitting himself to his father and doing whatever the father desired and enabled him to do. This is very much what fasting and praying does in the life of a believer. His strength, God's strength, God himself becomes our food. God is yummy. God nourishes us. He comforts us. He builds us up. He reveals who we are. He reveals the future. He's so, so good. He tastes so, so good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So God himself can become our food. We can feed on him, and we need to feed on him. <laughs> As I began to tell you earlier, years ago when the Lord was preparing me for something through fasting, he didn't tell me what it was because he knew I wasn't going to be happy about it. <laughs> but I didn't know that what was going on. What ended up happening is I fasted for, Daniel fasted for about six weeks, and then about a week later, the Christian school where my kids went to school called a parents' meeting. They had never called a parents' meeting. So I'm already like, uh-oh, <laughs> what's going on here? It wasn't a big deal. They weren't like raising the rates or anything. They just decided to change the school year. Instead of going from the, the normal nine months in a row, they were going to do year-round school. I had three teenagers at home. <laughs> I did not want them <laughs> being unattended. In the summertime, you can send them one place and they're all there together. All these different months off, I'm like, this is, oh, flesh head started steaming out my ears. <laughs> and as I started to huff and puff and not like this, I'm like, what am I going to do? La, 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 la. And all of a sudden, I hear the Holy Spirit goes, this is why you've been fasting. Oh. Okay, <laughs> shut down my flesh head that fast. You see, the school actually lost a lot of students because the whole world works around the normal school year if you've got kids. So when you change the normal school year, you change a family's entire life. It was very disruptive. And like other people, my little flesh head wanted to take my kids and go home. <laughs> and God said, no, this is the very reason you've been fasting. Submit. You see, he prepared me. Submit, 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 submit. Oh, this is what I don't like. Got to submit anyway. He's already given me the grace and the strength to do it. Just like that. Now, you might think, what would be so bad if you took your kids and went somewhere else? Go to a different Christian school. For starters, God didn't tell me that. Second, two of my kids ended up marrying people 
they met in high school. If I had taken them somewhere else, it would have changed God's plans. <laughs> it matters that we submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, before I give you some tips <laughs> on how to make fasting a little easier, let me address the word reward. Many grace ministers frowned greatly on the idea that our Father would reward behavior or choices. Because reward to them means that you've earned something by your fasting, which, of course, is not true. We can't earn anything from God. But that doesn't mean God doesn't sometimes reward people's choices with more of his grace. <laughs> now, the Pharisees fasted so other men could see how spiritual they were, and they ended up getting what they really wanted, praise from men. So there wasn't any reward or praise from God. Fasting, so that others will think we're spiritual, is a flesh-headed flesh way of thinking. Thinking that we're going to fast so that we can become more anointed flesh-headed thinking. Fasting means God's going to give me more money. Flesh-headed thinking. <laughs> no! <laughs> it's sowing to the flesh-head so that flesh-head can only produce what flesh-head can produce. These wrong ideas about we get God to do something by fasting. That's flesh-head. And besides that, what they get isn't even true admiration. <laughs> they think they're getting men's approval. Men's approval don't know even know the motive of the man who's fasting for the wrong reason. So they don't actually even end up getting what they really want. It's all flesh head. <laughs> God is the one who says that a fast done unto him will be rewarded. For example, a few weeks ago, my daughter had gone out for a few hours, and when she came home, she found, to her surprise, that someone had done up all the dishes and cleaned the kitchen without her asking or appointing anyone to do it. With teenagers, this is a miracle. <laughs> it was a voluntary display of love, and she was delighted to find that someone had come and lifted that particular responsibility off of her shoulders. So she went looking for someone to reward someone to bless, someone to praise. And as it turns out, it was her 15-year-old teenager. Truly a miracle. <laughs> he had just decided he, he would do the dishes to help her. She then very quickly blessed and rewarded him with extra time to play video games. He only ever gets a half hour a day. That day he got a whole hour. <laughs> She's like, yes, keep doing this. <laughs> keep maturing. <laughs> now, he was thrilled, of course, but he didn't do it with the idea of a reward in mind. He did it because he loves his mom. That's God's idea of reward. He likes to bless us. He likes to say, oh, you're doing such wonderful things. You're listening so good, and you're growing so good. I want you to know I notice what you do. I like what you're doing. <laughs> this is a good thing. <laughs> That's God's idea of reward. So when we go to the Spirit, when we sow to the Spirit, we of the Spirit reap God's kind and quality of life, His blessings. Blessings come as something you don't expect, but you delight in because you know it's something you couldn't produce in your own strength. It comes from the very hand of God's grace. 
It's not something you earn. In fact, if you try to earn your blessings, you automatically disqualify yourself from them, just like the Pharisees. <laughs> God's going to bless me. He already has. We just start reaping of the sowing. When we submit ourselves to God through prayer and fasting, because we know that he is our life and he is our strength and he is everything that we need, we'll find that that's the place of mega grace. That's where we'll find his unearned favor, his unearned blessings, his unearned strength, his unearned goodness. Blessings will just show up in your life because God loves you <laughs> because of his great love. And he delights in showing us that he loves us and that he likes the things that we're doing. He wants us to know that we have his, his approval as people and we have his approval of what we do. So how can we make fasting less painful? First of all, if you've never fasted, start slow. <laughs> we can actually train our body to fast. You fast maybe breakfast and maybe you can't take it past 10 o'clock. It's okay. <laughs> if your body says it's time, you have to eat. Okay, the next day, we go to 11. You can train your flesh head. You can train your body to cooperate with your desire, your real person's desire, to fast. After several days, you might get good enough to take away lunch completely or push it back a few hours. We just keep adjusting to what you can tolerate. Because if you're not used to it, your flesh head becomes in control and that's just ugly, so <laughs> it's okay to stop <laughs> based on what your body is telling you, not your stomach, your body. When it comes to choosing a liquid fast, you can take fiber or activated charcoal to quiet your stomach. See, the interesting thing about this liquids and fiber, it won't make your flesh head happy. It'll make your stomach happy. If you ask your stomach, stomach, are you hungry? It says, no, no, I'm not hungry. Fleshhead says starving, eat everything in the refrigerator. <laughs> so for a Daniel type of fast, you can just remove all the fun foods from your diet. <laughs> that is sure to make your flesh head very cranky. <laughs> but fasting doesn't have to be about food. It can also be about fasting television or fasting Facebook or any other type of activity that's not actually beneficial for you. It doesn't mean those things are bad. It just means they're not helping you spend time with God. And spending more time with God is really the point of fasting. It's seeking Him. It's finding Him. It's relishing Him. It's all about Him. Fasting is just a tool to help us sow to the Spirit and overcome the dominion of our flesh head. Last week when God told me on Sunday, finally, I'm like, okay, God, I got a couple different ways. You're talking to me. What do you want me to do this next week? And all of a sudden he says, fasting. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> and God says, and why don't, why don't you just do a fast this week then? Okay. <laughs> I don't really mind. I used to tell people, I hate fasting. But I love and adore the results of fasting. Because it's all about finding him, embracing him, seeking him, hearing him, enjoying him. It's all about him. And it's a spiritual practice that helps us overcome our flesh-headed thinking. Because your two-year-old in your brain 
should not be the boss of you. <laughs> so this week, I chose a liquid fast. I have to tell you that complete water fasting should be left to something you do under medical care. Because if you don't know what you're doing, you can mess yourself all up. Water fasting, you need a lot of rest. I don't have time for a lot of rest. <laughs> I need something I can do on the go. <laughs> so that's why a Daniel fast is usually very good or a, a liquid fast. I choose liquid fasting. Now I've been practicing fasting on enough forever. <laughs> so I'm a little bit better at it, but I've learned. You see, I used to just freak out if when I was fasting, I'm in the kitchen, I'm making dinner, and I pop something into my mouth. And then all of a sudden my brain goes, oh, you just destroyed your fast. Now you've got to start all over again. <laughs> That's flesh head. You know what God says? Oh, well, start again, right this very second. So you blew it. No big deal. You didn't even mean to do it. Just keep going. Just, the point is not not eating. The point is submitting. <laughs> the point is finding and seeking him. It's not about the not eating. So anyway, what happens when I fast is that that bubbling I told you about earlier shows up. Because <laughs> you're constantly submitting to the Holy Spirit. And there's an ease and a grace that comes where you just bubble up Jesus. Bubbling all day every day. All of a sudden, while I'm praying, because I'm working on a message, okay, I'm not listening to my brain, I'm listening to the Lord. All of a sudden I hear, Driva. Oh, I'm praying for Driva. Well, praise God. <laughs> a little while later, Cindy. Oh, I'm praying for Cindy now. This is awesome. <laughs> he worked his way around to God all of you. <laughs> He says when we pray in the Spirit, we speak mysteries. It's used as intercession. It's used as a way for us to pray without having to know anything in our natural thinking. God knows. So as we constantly learn to submit, not to our flesh, but to the Lord, those graces become more abundant. Because he, the whole point of fasting is accessing all that he is on purpose and overcoming the dominion of our flesh. What I want you to come away with this morning is a curiosity about fasting under the new covenant. Are you considering going on a, an adventure in fasting with God? Are you desiring to feast more deeply on your heavenly father the way Jesus did? Do you have a burdensome weight regarding a loved one? that you need God to manifest himself clearly and loudly about? Or are you just hungry for more of being able to sense him deeply? A fasting adventure with our Father, our Jesus, and our Holy Spirit might just be what the real you is looking for. Your flesh head will tell you that fasting is stupid, <laughs> a waste of perfectly good food. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit will often call us to come and draw on the fullness of our Father's grace through the adventure found in fasting. Amen? Father God, we thank you that you are a good, good God. I thank you that we can find you. Yes, we have you always, but we don't always have you in our mind. We always have you, but we're not always aware of you. We always have you, but there's so much more of you to know and experience. Father God, I thank you 
You work with us. Fasting is not about rules and how long you do it and all of that. It's about finding you and hearing you and seeing you for who you are in us and for us. Thank you for the grace of fasting. That you enable us to do something that's normally very hard to do. But we thank you, Father God, that you have a way to make it easy for us. That we pull on that grace, that divine enablement, and we come away fat in our soul, satisfied. No spiritual hunger at all, because you are all that we need. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.